I think the beauty of the work really is to be able to get to the place within oneself and go, okay, I saw my shadow there. Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, maybe it's the next day, maybe it's the next week. That's okay, because those are stepping stones along the river. And I use that metaphor a lot in this book. These steppings, it came through really strong, is the river and the stepping stones to get across the river. And that metaphor of maybe the river is really wild at times and the stones are really precarious and sometimes it's smooth ride and we just, you know, hop along, but each stone representing really this, this journey, this cycle that we, we find ourselves in at whatever stage. And then we go, okay, here I am now. And what am I working with now? What's cooking now? What's coming through? Yeah. And I think that's why following also the cycles of the moon and the cycles of nature help us, remind us that we are part of this ecosystem. We are part of this web. We are not alone. And that is, that's a true comfort, I feel, that, you know, to, to understand, even if you are lonely as a human, or even if it has been really hard, which it is for many of us, that we can find some sort of solace in the universal web. Welcome to Rebel Spirit Radio, exploring the frontiers of spirituality, consciousness, the esoteric, and humanity's sacred relationship with a living earth. I'm your host, Nick Mather, and in this episode, author Mara Branscombe returns to the podcast to discuss her latest book, Sage, Huntress, Lover, Queen. Mara discusses several archetypes of the divine feminine, the importance of working with the shadow, the necessity of meeting our fire, how love is artistry in motion, and finding solace in the universal web. Also, please be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. Your support is truly appreciated. Mara Branscombe is a yoga and meditation teacher, writer, mother, artist, ceremonialist, and spirit coach who finds great joy in leading others along the path of self-transformation. She is passionate about weaving the art of mindfulness, self-care, mind-body practices, and earth-based rituals into her offerings. Mara is a regular contributor to Spirituality and Health Magazine, Gaia and Wonderlust. She is the author of Ritual as Remedy and joins me today to discuss her latest book, Sage, Huntress, Lover, Queen. Mara. Welcome back to Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you for having me. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed the last conversation we had about your book, Ritual is Remedy. Yes. And I'm looking forward to speaking to you about this book, <laughs> which I very much enjoyed. And we spoke just for a few seconds before hitting record. This is a book written for women, I think, though I found quite a bit of it relevant to my own life. And I wanted to ask you about this, and I thought this would be a great place to start because at the core of it is an expression of the divine feminine. And I think that that is something that is important for all genders. Absolutely. I'm so glad you bring this forward right off the top because, yes, naturally, women will be more attracted to this book. And and I'm a woman writing the book. And however, this is beyond gender. This is my response. So the core of the divine feminine, I feel, and I love how you say that, the core of the divine feminine is it's essential right now to begin to understand one's relationship 
with the divine feminine. And I'll just go one step further, which is, well, what is the divine feminine? And, you know, I'm sure we can unpack that really deeply and we could go on for years about what that is. And, And really, to me, what it is, is this capacity to listen, to be able to understand what is your own intuitive process. How do you nourish yourself? How do you soften enough to be strong, to lead your life in a way that is unified, that is whole, that is evolving, um, in evolving humanity within you? And so to me, that's at the core of what this is, so that um, beyond gender, beyond identification, one can start to become aware of how one listens to the inner process of how one lives life as a, I would say, a creative ritual, each day as a creative ritual alive. So that's what I wanted to bring forward. Mm, Yes. And I I did see connections to your previous book about rituals remedy, because I think that the main theme here is one of healing Mm -hmm. and the idea of healing the self in order to heal the world. Mm -hmm. And really, it is about doing the work that is Mm -hmm. required personally to then be a part of this collective healing. So in the book, I unpack a lot around the shadow. So each Mm -hmm. archetype has equally shadow content to then discover. And it was a great healing for me to, Mm -hmm. to actually engage in this process of writing this book. It was quite a surprise that I wrote this book. I didn't know I was going to write this. So it was a wild uh, journey through all the archetypes as I could relate to all of them and I could see where my shadow lives in all of them and where my power lives in all of them. And then that has really supported me personally in being able to not hold back on the work that I want to do in the world. Mm. Yeah, I like that. And I very much appreciated that you brought in the shadow of these archetypes. I think that is incredibly important. And I've got notes here on a few of them that we can dig into because the book is not just about these four archetypes, the sage, huntress, lover, queen. You actually have a few others uh, in here as well. And one of the I don't know if I should save this to the very end, but I feel compelled to bring it in now because one of the questions that I initially thought about asking you was, well, we have all these various feminine archetypes. And I think sometimes there is this tendency to think of, well, okay, I'm the maiden or I'm the mother, or you don't refer to the crone, you say the sage spirit, which I think has Mm -hmm. a lot of similar elements to it and various others. But my sense was that these are all part of a whole. And you bring that in, I think, at the very end with the archetype of the weaver. And when I got to the end of the book, and as I was reviewing this morning to prepare for this, I started noticing that you used that language of weaving throughout the text. Mm -hmm. So I was wondering if you could maybe speak to that, to speak to how these archetypes, you know, are all part of the greater whole of the divine feminine. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
And what's amazing is people love to, folks love to identify with one or the other. That's what mm-hmm. I found through this process. And, I, and it's it's part of, you know, our human nature is like, I'm this or that. And and what I propose in the book and right off the top in the intro is that we are all of them and we have capacity to weave in and out of all of them when needed in our life. And it's interesting. Some some other folks have said, well, is it like a journey of maturation? Do we go from the maiden, you know, to the queen, to the weaver and all of the ones in between? And in my response was no. And um, if we're aware of all of them, you know, I can be you know, 95. I say this because I had a 95 year old woman on my retreat recently. That was quite a surprise. It was a, a yoga meditation ritual retreat for six days. And this 95-year-old woman showed up and I said, well, what inspired you to come? And she said, I wanted to change my life. (laughs) And it was totally wild and totally like cosmic because I just released this book. And there I was in the company of this matriarch who perhaps I could have called a queen, but I feel she was embodying the maiden at 95. And so that, that these archetypes are codes they're not stereotypes. So this is really important to just consider that their codes, their formulas, their frequencies, they're not archetypes. They're not this or that. They're not definitions of who you are or who you're supposed to be. My idea was to expand out of that. And this is the divine feminine. The divine feminine expands out of conditioned responses and reactions and moves into, well, what if at 95, I, um, you know, honor the maiden who the maiden has a zest for life, a zhuzh, an adventurous spirit. The maiden calls for this capacity. It's never too late to begin again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I love that. And this is what I had written down from notes from your book. Exactly what you just said is that mm-hmm. the maiden is when we embrace new beginnings mm-hmm. and the shadow aspect is when we tell ourselves it's too late, you know? And so, you know, a 95 year old woman who wants to change her life. That's awesome. (laughs) That's amazingly awesome. Incredible. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing that story. I think that's amazing. And, you know, the maiden archetype also is some, one of the aspects that appealed to me. And I was thinking, you know, I, I started thinking at some times and I dropped this pretty quickly because I started thinking about masculine counterparts. Mm-hmm. And one of the things like the maiden, I was equating to the fool in the, like in Tarot, right? And it's about embracing those new beginnings as a rite of passage. Mm-hmm. And I also connected to the shadow aspect to it, because you wrote that if we have unresolved burning desire to change our lives and reclaim a meaningful, creative and embodied existence, and don't act upon it, that the energy gets blocked and it gets lodged in the body. And I personally felt that. I felt that quite a bit. And making radical changes really did seem to open up to those new beginnings. Uh, but it's hard work. Uh, looking at the shadow is hard work. <laughs> it's hard work. And the shadow is always shifting. Mm. And it will rear its head at any time for us to say, okay, let's take a look. Let's take a look with compassion, with a sense of self-love so that, you know, the shadow work is most effective 
when we can be the witness to it, a loving witness to it. And it does take hard work. Well, how do we get there? I believe it's a daily contemplative practice of some sort, be it prayer, be it meditation, be it nature time. That is what allows us to slow down enough to actually see the story that is being presented before us. Yeah. 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 And ask ourselves the hard questions. And I like that in each of the archetypes, you give one example of a usually a goddess but not always and the maiden i was not surprised that you use persephone Mm -hmm. and just out of curiosity and don't feel like i'm putting you on the spot here but do you know what the name persephone actually means in the greek not many people do no please tell me okay the bringer of destruction Mm. um, which i thought fit so perfectly because Mm. it seems like the maiden has to destroy old patterns in order for the new to emerge. That's so fascinating. That's very similar to Kali's energy and the, you know, the Kali, the goddess of death and destruction and revolution, death, destruction and revolution. So Mm -hmm. I love that part of, you know, Persephone's journey. I've always connected to that journey, most likely going through my own dark night of the soul as a, as a young woman going, you know, and, experiencing loss uh, right. of a loved one actually so I I, I went through a, that journey that I can now see in hindsight looking back that that was essential mm. to uh, my path in life and spiritual life creative life that to go through some of these deeper darker experiences allow us then to you know see it in a much more expanded capacity where the work is, or where we can actually go with the work, with our potential, with our dreams, with our visions, with our mindset, in fact. Yeah. And that's exactly what Persephone does. She has to go into the underworld. She has to go into the realm of the shadow to be reborn in the spring. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you about Kali because I was surprised by some of your choices when I was, they were unexpected of some of the uh, archetypes. And I think the first one is when you brought in Isis for the sage spirit. Mm -hmm. And I think that they were very relevant, but Kali is your representative for the huntress. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering if maybe you could say a little bit about the huntress and why you chose Kali, because what I was thinking, and this is Western perspective probably although i do have a good background in the eastern traditions i was thinking more along the lines of like diana out of the greek myths and so but i think kali is very appropriate Mm. and i wanted to represent all lineages Mm -hmm. also in these archetypes and i had a great it was really fun to be able to go okay well and i i would live each archetype for two months writing this book Mm. so there's the backstory is that i and I'm a teacher, so I, I feel so blessed because I was able to, in my teachings, you know, I do full moon gatherings, new moon gatherings. I do, you know, these sessions and healing sessions and yoga work, expressive movement. And so for those two months, generally what I taught was I was exploring the archetype myself. So if I had two months with the huntress archetype as I was writing it, and I was like, okay, what does it mean to be the huntress spirit for me right now? And how can I, you know, and so that Kali energy came through so strong because, you know, from my yoga lineage and my time spent in India that, you know, the, the capacity to be so fierce 
yet so expansive at the same time is that Kali-esque energy, Kali-ma energy, which is the divine feminine of, you know, destroying all in the path that, that no longer serves and embodying the spirit of, you know, that fiery spark, which is all of creation. And that is the flame that lives inside the huntress at all times. Sometimes the huntress spirit, the flame, needs to be quite active and out in the world, you know, doing the projects, doing the missions, doing the visions. And sometimes that huntress spirit needs to recalibrate and just be in that flame. And so that's what I was proposing, which is very different than the warrior energy. The warrior is like that, you know, go push force, hustle culture. And I wanted to reframe that in the huntress is that we can, we can go, we can be even more wild in our work and our visions and, you know, what we want to do in the world by balancing it with that recalibrated energy of wholeness, of nourishment in a way of softening. Mm. That's a, that's a big job to do. And I think for a lot of women and men and however you identify whatever gender, especially entrepreneurs, when you know, we need to do the work that we work so hard that we burn out. And so I'm proposing, you know, in this Huntress archetype is like, how do you do the work and not burn out? Yeah. Yeah. And well, and I appreciate the idea of the Huntress. And one of the things that has puzzled me or bothered me, I don't know how exactly I want to say this is there's often this focus on the warrior. And I've seen that both in masculine, more in the masculine than the feminine, but I've also seen it in the feminine. But I love the idea of the hunter or the huntress as a kind of alternative to that, because I think warrior energy has gotten us to some dark places. <laughs> and the huntress, I think, as you were saying, transforms and transmutes that energy. I love that you said you wrote that the huntress takes a stand for justice, truth, equality, human and animal rights, and is a protectress of the earth and waters. She can track the source of both light and darkness inside her work and transform it into momentum and motivation to fight the good fight. Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. And I think that with Kali, it's interesting as well, because she was born out of the rage of the goddess Durga. And it is a channeling of that anger into something that is beneficial. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. That's, you know, that's beautifully said. And I think for all of us, how we can potentially work with anger, we anger is good. We know that anger is good. If we repress mm -hmm. anger, we're, you know, going to be in imbalance. So, you know, especially to fight the good fight, <laughs> Yeah. We need, we need yeah. to be able to kind of manage that and work with that. And again, find that for ourselves personally, which is it, it's, it's whether it's going to the gym that works for you or, you know, hiking a mountain, or it, it is that we need, you need to, we need to meet our fire and our, in a way, our anger, our energy, our passion, it's all one. And it changes throughout our life as we change. Mm -hmm. Now, working with these archetypes, did you, and you were working with them individually, like you said, while you were working with the book, was there any that surprised you or that you found personally challenging? Mm -hmm. 
Well, I did find writing The Lover challenging. Mm. Perhaps it was just the specific time of life that I was in or, well, even more so, I think it's a very complex, you know, formula to work with. Well, you know, because I wanted to move away from relational love and I wanted to move into like love as source, love as the source of all creation. And, and so I, what happened there is I I needed to skip over the lover and write the mystic first, which Mm. was really fascinating. So I spent two months with the mystic really intimately. Then, then I went back to the lover and I was pleasantly surprised at how the ease and the grace came through and the understanding of what I wanted to express in the lover, which is really that, you know, moving away from relational love, although that's a bonus if that's there for you, but, you know, moving into that deep self-love and, and even beyond the identification of self and love mm-hmm. and moving into just the cosmic nature of all creation as the lover's matrix. Hmm. Why do you think you needed to explore the mystic first? Well, interesting. (laughs) I was like, oh, I can relate to the mystic. You know, I was like, oh, well, that'll be a little easier for me. You know, writing is incredibly challenging, beautifully challenging work. And, and I, you know, so I, I felt like, oh, I'm going to work with the star energy first. I'm going to work with the moon energy, the star energy. And I felt so lit up by that. So then, you know, and this is for all the creatives out there and the writers, this is, you know, we, we need to break rules, you know, so I didn't, I didn't have to go sequentially as I thought I was meant to. And I even let my writing coach, who I have a, an amazing writing coach, I was like, I'm not going to do the lover right now. I'm going to do the mystic first. I'm really, I'm really called to that. That's going to, that's going to help my process. It's going to keep the momentum going and, and then back in to the lover. And so, yeah, I think I needed to work with that kind of, well, what, what this expansive star moon energy, this ancient energy, this ancient and now contemporary energy. And this is really brings me to a, a greater bridge that I'm feeling right now to express is that this work is to bridge, I feel, the ancient and the contemporary. Mm-hmm. And so it's really much like a, it's very much a bridge to me, which is the, the ancient energy rooted in the mystics and the, you know, all of the, the archetypal patterns like Mother Earth and Gaia and the maiden, the sage, the huntress, and that, that bridge then over to contemporary world. Well, how do I be a lover of, you know, of all things in this very complex world in which we live right now? So I can source back to the bridge. I can go back to the ancient. Then I can come forward to the contemporary as a way to maneuver and be grounded in the work and be a student of the work, really. Yeah, what comes to my mind is it, it makes total sense to me that you would need to do the mystic first. Because there is, in many of the mystical traditions, this emphasis on love. There's even some mystics that are referred to as the love mystics, or at least that's how I learned it. And it seems as if you needed to kind of tap into that universal energy of love Mm -hmm. and that the lover then is the kind of the physical embodiment, the channel for that love. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that reflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and I also loved how you wrote that love is artistry in motion. It's beauty and movement. You know, there's 
the way we think of love, it's one of these terms that we often don't, you know, we just kind of throw it around. I always want to know, but what is it, <laughs> you know, and it, it manifests in so many different ways. And I, I love that it is this force, this energy that pushes us to create. And I liked also how you focused on in this, you've been talking about this, that sort of self-love that we have to learn to love ourselves in order to do the work. And I will put that one step further, which is to then understand that everyone's process is so unique and different in the world to then be able to have compassion for everyone else's process, which is very different than, than yours or mine. And that is a deeper form of love as well, is that deep level of compassion or forgiveness, or, you know, I just spent two weeks with my family, you know, my birth family, my origin family. And you know what Ram Das says, you want to become spiritual, go spend time with your family, you know, in terms of like, and I could see it all the shadow. I mean, I have a beautiful, loving family. I love my family so much. We get along so well. We all want to gather at the same time. And still, of course, the shadow will rear up in all sorts of triggers and all sorts of patterns, fascinating stuff. All of our narratives, our stories, our histories, our lineage, our karma, and that, you know, it, it, the higher level work of love, I believe also is to be a witness to mm -hmm. others, triggers and shadows. And that's actually also why I wrote this book. It was a big, strong impulse was that once we understand these codes and these formulas that are in the archetypes, then therefore we become more compassionate to witnessing the shadow in others and therefore less reactionary to it. Yeah. Yeah, we and it requires a lot of shadow work on the individual to reach that point, you know. Yes, and we are only human and we, right. you know, and then we begin again tomorrow. So we, you know, it, it's in and it's what I think the beauty of the work really is to be able to get to the place within oneself and go, okay, I saw my shadow there. Yeah. Hmm. And, you know, maybe it's the next day. Maybe it's the next week. That's okay, because those are stepping stones along the river. And I use that metaphor a lot in this book. These steppings, it came through really strong, is the river and the stepping stones to get across the river. Hmm. And that metaphor of maybe the river is really wild at times and the stones are really precarious. And sometimes it's smooth ride and we just, you know, hop along. But each stone representing really this this journey, this cycle that we, we find ourselves in at whatever stage. And then we go, okay, here I am now. And what am I working with now? What's cooking now? What's coming through? Yeah. And I think that's why following also the cycles of the moon and the cycles of nature help us remind us that we are part of this ecosystem. We are part of this web. We are not alone. And that is that's a true comfort, I feel, that, you know, to to understand, even if you are lonely as a human, or even if it has been really hard, which it is for many of us, that we can find some sort of solace in the universal web. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I think, a lot of disconnect with the natural cycles of the earth, the moon, <laughs> the cosmos in general. And I agree with you 100% that it's important to try to get in tune with all of that and mm -hmm. to kind of, you know, dance with the music of the cosmos, 
as it were, you know, find that rhythm uh, somehow, mm-hmm. some way. Mm-hmm. And I liked the imagery that you were just using reminds me of metaphors from Buddhism of, you know, it's here to get you across, and it's in other traditions too. Yes. I know it's in uh, Jainism as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the idea of getting across the stream, getting to the other side. And one of the archetypes, when you were talking about that, the one that came to mind is you wrote about the queen, right? That's in the title of the book. And your example of the queen is Tara, mm-hmm. uh, or uh, Tara, as I think I always mm-hmm. pronounce it, Tara. So I was wondering if maybe you could say a few words about the queen and how Tara represents her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for asking that. And I, all of these, again, I'll tell you a story actually is I, you know, I, I, I'm a trail runner. I run in the trails. That's part of my, I call it my spirit runs. And, you know, I, I would do my other practices too, but I remember grappling over who I was going to use for the queen, you know, because this is part of my research and, you know, what mythic, you know, or what, what energy, what ethos am, am I going to use for that? And I, I remember asking myself, should I use Tara, Tara, or should I use someone else? And then as I said, Tara, I tripped over a tree root. I tripped <laughs> and I said, okay, there she is. And so, yeah, I think that, you know, accessing this and and working with the queen's energy is embodied wisdom, pure compassion, embodied wisdom, pure compassion. And so that really spoke to me as, you know, I even say Tara is a revered, is revered as a high goddess of the female Buddha Mm -hmm. and the queen, you know, we need the queen and I'm not talking about a colonial queen. We are talking uh, the energy of a queen, which is a leader that holds the capacity to um, not only lead a team, a movement, oneself, in a way that is, again, I don't, I'm not sure if I want to use the word higher level. Maybe there's a more expansive realm of understanding, of intuitive awareness, of wisdom from within. And so I, I feel that, you know, when I, when I start and I, then I get to research, you know, about Tara and I just felt that that was a, 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 a deep alignment and I'll relate it in a way to the Lotus flower right now, mm-hmm. you know, as Thich Nhat Hanh says, no mud, no Lotus. Yeah. And uh, I was recently visiting actually back East, my family and close to there is a whole Lotus pond garden. Mm-hmm. It is so spectacular. And so you really get to see that the roots in the muddy water of the Lotus flower are so embedded and integrated. And it's a whole ecosystem. This pond is all working together and that the blossom, you know, is this most vibrant Lotus flower. Um, and in the center of the flower, you know, it looks like a fossilized coral creation. It's, it's also incredibly epic. And so the, that energy represents the queen is that the shadow of the queen is to work through perfectionism, to work through the shadow of perfectionism, which many humans have on this planet. It holds, I've worked with thousands of people that you know, cannot make that next move or put that creation out into the world because they fear what others think. Mm. So the queen energy, that Tara energy is embodied wisdom, so clear and strong as a channel. It doesn't matter what other people think. It doesn't matter. Put the work out, do the work, listen to the call. And 
that that's the kind of energy that I wanted to bring forward in the queen. Uh, quite beautiful. Thank you for all of that. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the queen is also, how do I want to say this kind of directs the energy of transformation. Mm-hmm. And I think that you refer to the sacred work inside the queen's temple and is the queen's, you know, what's the queen's temple? The queen's temple is the, the temple of the body mind connection. And thank you for asking that. You're asking me some great questions to chew upon <laughs> here. I love it. And and it came through really strong. You know, I even put through practices for embodying the queen. Mm-hmm. So in the book also is all these practices and rituals, visualizations one can do to then work mm-hmm. towards embodying the archetype or being curious about how to connect with the archetype. And I have one here that is a journey to ignite your soul's code. It's a It's a guided visualization. And I had a really rich experience writing all of this for the queen specifically because also I had come to this point in the book <laughs> that then when you write every day and when there's those deadlines, it's it's a beautiful, deep creative process to just like go so full in. So at this point, I felt like I was so full in and it it's, yeah, it's really about embodying or being curious about a soul code a code beyond the physical form, yet it's so related and connected to mind body. So again, like really putting out an expansive energy, which, you know, again, we're going to bring forward the divine feminine. And I would say the divine masculine comes forward very much so in in all of these archetypes. Mm -hmm. And I think right now I'm realizing it, it comes very strong forward in the queen, Mm. that capacity to be in like full creative mind body connection and the capacity to lead others or a movement in that requires a quite a unification, a quite a, an ability to see the, you know, the whole sunrise, the whole sunset. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I don't think it was the queen. Yeah, no, it wasn't the queen. Well, let me say my thoughts on the queen and I'm just going to, my association with the queen mm-hmm. is I often use the tarot and so it's the symbolism of the tarot. And one way of looking at the Queens is that the Queens embody new beginnings. Mm -hmm. So they are connected with like the very beginning cards, you know, like the twos and threes of the tarots, those new beginnings, but their shadow side is the end of the previous suit. And when you were talking, I was thinking Mm -hmm. about that, that the queen has to embody, you know, kind of the culmination of the old and directing the energies of the new. Mm -hmm. And I saw that kind of balance going on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we could unpack that a lot. That's really cool. (laughs) And I don't, you know, I don't have experience with the tarot. I'd like to get there. I do do other cards and stuff. I just find it all so fascinating because my my base didn't come from the tarot, right? Right, right, So, and you're, and I love that you're making those connections because again, it's a code, right? So, so it it goes beyond this or that it goes beyond my knowledge or yours. And, Mm -hmm. and that's, again, I'm going to bring that forward. I, I, I feel like that's the feminine way that when I, when I first started, you know, getting into this creative process, I, I, again, like I said, I was very surprised. I, I originally thought I was going to write a book of blessings and poetry. And 
what happened was I gave myself a task to write one blessing or poem prayer a day for a whole lunar cycle from new moon to new moon, 39 days, 29 and a half days. And once I was done, I had 30. They were unedited, not censored, just pushed forward. And I had a lot of fun doing that. And that was after I finished writing Rituals Remedy because I missed writing. What happened was I missed the process. I missed the creative act. And so I wrote these poems. I printed them out. I cut them all out. And I started placing them all because I write on the floor. I sit in meditation seat on the floor. And so I, I had all the poems circling around me. I had no idea what I was doing. I don't know why I was doing that. And then I started placing them in like categories. Mm. And from those categories, what I realized was they were, they, there was archetypal patterns and codes coming forward. I was like, there's the mother. Wow. Mm. There's the maiden. Wow. And so I just had fun doing that, you know, really creative and free, no final outcome ever in the, in the works in my mind. And then from there, I thought, Oh, this is a liftoff for a deeper project. Mm. And the liftoff was also to support us in this place we're in, in humanity, I feel, where we could use a little more perhaps support and guidance in this threshold of moving away from patriarchy and moving away from that hustle, push, force culture. And so what is next? Where's that bridge? Could it be that it's in the, you know, resting deep in the divine feminine that we now can excavate and, and discover what that means for us to support us in our life? So the whole premise of the book was, you know, su to support others in their spiritual and creative honoring in this day and age. Mm, yeah, wonderful. And some of these poems you included in the book, didn't you? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I thought. I was going to ask you about those because they were, there's a lot of poems in there in each one. So each chapter begins and ends, bookended right. with a poem. And yes, these are some of the originals in here. And it's so interesting to look back on them because, you know, obviously there's all sorts of symbolism, you know, for me, for where, for where I was at in my life and also how I was working with each archetype, you know, deeply mm -hmm. for those two months each process. Right. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, I enjoyed the poems. And I, I'm going to ask, there are some illustrations in the book. Yeah. And I see behind you on the wall, a an illustration that looks very familiar to the ones in the book. Mm. Uh, did you do the illustrations? Or is that from someone no, else? No, I did not. And Laura Mowbray is the artist illustrator. Okay. She's also the cover designer okay. of the book. So cover designer, artist, illustrator, amazing collaborator. She also did Rituals Remedy, mm -hmm. the illustrations, they were more elemental, so less specific. Mm -hmm. So each, each, the process was, as I was in that two month energy, she would come up with the illustration mm -hmm. for each archetype. And she is now, that piece behind me is not hers. That's actually an indigenous piece uh, oh, okay. from the West Coast. Her work is is just, yeah, it's so spectacular. And we have another project coming up, which I'm so excited. I can't share exactly what it is yet because it's not okay. completely out in the world, but we've worked together deeply for the past five months on a whole nother project, which, yeah, I'll be excited to share with you when it comes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I love the artwork because it, one, it reminded me a little bit of Zen art, mm -hmm. but also when you look at it, the archetype starts emerging out of it. You can yeah. kind of see it. Yeah. 
Well, thank you. And I will uh, share that with her because that is, that's exactly it. That's what she would have wanted and that it it has some life to it, right? There's some Mm -hmm. life, but it was really important for us to not put a face on the, you know, because it was, I wanted it to be as spacious and, and she's now selling prints actually of the illustrations and I'm going to get a whole set. Yeah. I just, I, I love collaborating with artists and art is so important and I ask myself, how can I support artists more in the world on a daily yeah. basis? Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's always wonderful. Uh, mm-hmm. Artists need our support. <laughs> yes, they do. Yeah. Indeed. I have a few, I have a few artist friends and we are in a place where they're struggling a little bit because people think that art can just be generated, you know, uh, yeah. on our computers and whatnot. Yes. I wanted to kind of go back a moment. I don't think I asked you this, but I had, you know, I don't usually have a lot of questions written out. I have you know passages from the yeah. book, but I did have one question for you. So we're going to go back to something we spoke about a little bit, and that was the mystic mm-hmm. because you went through, you had to address the mystic and experience the mystic before writing about the lover. But I was curious if you could explain who is the mystic? Mm-hmm. And the mystic, and again, I'm going to bring forward this bridging from ancient to contemporary. So what's it, what's been really important for me, I, and you know what's fascinating is that I have met certain people that have inspired me, teachers or known or unknown to them, to me, great, great ones that inspire me. And somehow through this process, I was able to work with one's specific energy that I felt embodied the mystic. And I know this woman. And so, okay, I'll just unpack who the mystic is. And then I'll talk about why I was inspired to write about the mystic. The mystic, I feel, is someone who can, has this capacity for otherworldly energy, like connected to the stars, connected to the moon, whether they know it or not. Sometimes you can even see it in people. I often see it in people's eyes. I'm like, oh, there's this like mystical energy, this like real spacious, curious wonderment, like wonderment, awe, that kind of energy. And yet they're able to ground it into earth side and they're able to be a compassionate, kind, loving, listening human being on this planet. I feel that's the mystical energy is that they have this, sometimes we'd say it's, oh, they're born an old soul. You know, it's it's a little bit like that, where there's that, that, you know, and they also have a hunger for mystical knowledge from the past and how we bridge that perhaps into present day. And this could even be, you know, it could be someone who's a high powered CEO, yet they have this like really unique, you can just sense it, sense of awe, wonderment, sense of the betterment for humanity with it being a reverence for the past, I would Mm. say. And there's a woman named Erica who is, when I lead an annual retreat in Mexico every year, She's a medicine woman and she is, has an interesting background. She was raised in Mexico, but she's has Icelandic in her background. Mm. And so just as she, she embodies to me the mystic. And I, I always, I've always thought that for years and years I've, you know, she does our, she does our Temescal, our sweat lodges with us. She leads ceremony and her and I have a great connection. And when I look at her, I I honestly see almost as if she has walked the stars before. (laughs) She has been with the stars before, yet she's been able to bring it down to earth and heal and inspire so many 
on her path, on her journey. And so I really, I called her in. She doesn't even know this yet, but I called her in as I was <laughs> writing. I, I'm excited to tell her as I, as I wrote this, because in every aspect, I feel she's a teacher, she's a healer, she's a leader. She's, she's, she holds that sacred, I would say in every ounce of her body, like there's no separation, no separation. And so that, that's what I would aspire to hold in myself working with the mystic. Okay. What comes to mind is that we've already discussed how all of these archetypes are just part of a whole, but with what you just said, it also seems that there's some overlap and maybe that's not the best way of saying it, but the, you know, for example, the mystic and the sage, mm -hmm. you know, and I think another sure. example would be with the, the, the maiden and the mother. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like there's an overlap with mm -hmm. many of these archetypes. Yes, I would say that's true. And it's all working towards finding the way that one can resonate more fully with the frequency of the archetype. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the sage I brought forward, and I love writing about this right now, healthy aging, being, being in awe and wonder of one's aging process, as opposed to repressing it or pushing it down. So I wanted to, in the sage, for example, I wanted to, yes, sage wisdom, intuitive wisdom, internal healer energy, and also what I feel is needed in this culture in this day and time is that how can I age with grace and honor and absolute respect for every wrinkle, every, you know, line, every whatever uh, that it is a rite of passage as opposed mm. to something that needs to be fixed. Right. So that was really important to me in writing. And that's what I kind of, and I'm turning 50 this year. So I felt like really in, and I've written about it since like working with healthy aging. I just feel like I want to empower us, us all that like, these are, these wrinkles are well-earned and these, you know, this changing body is, yeah, this is what I love right now. And, and to really like hold hands with the sage and like mm. meet her, him in the eyes and go, they in the eyes and go, yes, like, I get to live this life. I get to, I get to turn 50 this year. What a blessing that is. Right. And the mystic is a little bit more has this otherworldly kind mm. of energy and curiosity. So that's, you know, and, and in the mystic, what came through really strong in the shadow was illusion mm, and yeah. spiritual, spiritual bypassing, which is right. also, you know, I work in the wellness industry. So I, and, and now we're social media. And so like, you can make a post on social media and, and clearly you can see that, 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 that is not an embodied situation. That is not an embodied post or truth or so. I see that a lot in my industry and I wanted to be able to address it with just a love for us all to go a little deeper. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Since you mentioned spiritual bypassing, that's something I'm really interested in and exploring and discussing, but I was curious if maybe for anyone who may not be familiar with the term, could you kind of explain what spiritual bypassing is? Yes. Great question. And in no means am I an expert in any of this field and in no means do I want to make any judgments mm -hmm. to any lineage. There is, I would say, and perhaps we've all experienced it before where there's a movement 
it's attractive. There's a bit of a dopamine hit by following perhaps a certain teacher, a guru. We see it in some religious faiths. And so if I'm not really believing, you know, in the practice, yet I'm more so following the teacher or the guru because somehow they're making me feel that, you know, they're making me feel that, you know, I'm needed by them then that is that in that sense. So, so an example could be, you know, in a yoga class and you go because in, you know, you go to that, you love that teacher, but you love that teacher also because they keep telling you that you need to come back. Mm. So there's a bit of a, a play there with energy. And I mean, we see it all over the world and we see it everywhere. And so what I would say is that that spiritual bypassing, it comes in when you actually don't embody the work but you're doing it for either, you know, the external appearance or, you know, a, a false sense of belonging. But I want to bring forward the positive, that sense of belonging is really, really important here. And, and it is to find, you know, a teacher or a leader that in no way tells you that you, you know, you're doing things wrong or that you need to keep coming back. Or you need, so that's, that's the discernment piece, mm-hmm. that the teaching should be very free, very spacious, and it should be in that you know, you feel that there's no affliction in the body of needing to prove oneself to one's teacher. So right. yeah. I don't know yeah. if, I, if that no, came no, up clear. No, no, thank you. I, you know, I always, whenever it comes up, I want to ask people how they're defining it mm-hmm. because it's a term that we hear a lot and, you know, and it's the philosopher in me. I always want to say, well, what does that mean? Yes, <laughs> you know, please. Well, mean? you tell me, what do you, what does I, it mean to you? I would like to know. I'm still kind of formulating how I would express it. But as you were speaking, I think, and and I think this relates to your book and I'll give a very short kind of definition. It's focusing on the light without looking at the shadow. Mm -hmm. And it is kind of focusing on the light as the spirit, you know, the spiritual work without doing that shadow work Mm -hmm. and focusing on spirituality as a way to divert attention from what is not necessarily beneficial, but needs deep work. You know, yeah. I guess that's how I would explain it. Yeah. Well said. I mean, I think you hit it right there. Focusing on the light without looking at the shadow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why I really appreciated that you brought the shadow in to all of these archetypes. And I think that you've also tapped into something that is very universal. I think that the divine feminine is very universal, mm-hmm. but even the language you're using, because the weaver, for example, and this is something that in religious traditions, you know, the word sutra is connected to suture and tantra is connected to actually weaving. Mm-hmm. And there is something within the traditions, in, and I think I would say all religious traditions that speak to this kind of process. Mm-hmm. And, and and I appreciate the fact that it's there, and you're you know it's kind of coming out of your work, whether you were doing this thinking about this intentionally or not. It's coming through you and through your writing. Thank you. And that was really a delightful surprise that the weaver came at the end. Yeah. As I was trying to, you know, come to an, an energy of sacred 
closure mm -hmm. in a way with the archetypes. And then it came through so strong in um, a visualization. So, so what comes, what happens for me is because I'm, you know, doing the work, I'm doing the, the meditations, the visualizations, the breath work, I will often see images from within. That's how I, that's part of my intuitive process. I will, I will get visuals. I will get like photographic snapshots and they'll come really fast and strong. And the weaver came so fast and strong at the end that the weaver holds all of the archetypes, in fact. Mm -hmm. And the weaver, you know, whether it's a tapestry, whether it's a basket, it's a primal ancient art form. It's the mm -hmm. one of the most ancient art forms there is. And, you know, it comes with one thread crossing over the other and creating this bound tie before we move on again to the next weave, to the next piece. And the weaver, so for me, and this is how I love to describe it, is that we are all the archetypes. The weaver holds them all at the center of our body that we are able to then pull and offer out and receive back in when needed. So, you know, if I'm sitting over here in my mother shadow and I see that, then I can recalibrate. I can go back to my center and I can work on nurturing myself, nourishing myself because the mother shadow comes forward when we're overgiving, when we're too fatigued. I mean, I'm not talking about parenting kids, but you could put that in there, but I'm talking about mothering self, mothering self in a way, perhaps that you didn't get mothered yourself. So, so for a lot of us, that's our work, you know, is to recognize some of these core wounds that we all carry, whether we choose to see them or not, not to go looking for them necessarily, but to just really to see what's there. And then how do we meet ourselves and go, okay, this is, this is this beautiful life opportunity to go. I need to, you know, every day, what is my nourishment? What is my practice? And the weaver came through and again on retreat. So I have these, um, I run these amazing programs and people come and it's just so delightful to see who shows up. And so who showed up last year as I was completing, as I was writing this chapter, unbelievable is an indigenous woman who is a weaver wow. and she's 75 years old. Again, I love being at this stage of my life because I get to, I feel like I run these programs where they're it's beyond age. So I can have an 18 year old and I can have a 95 year old in the same program. And then we work, you know, we work for off each other's medicine in that way. So beautiful. And so the weaver, you know, her name is badge and she came and I was just blown away by the synchronicity and she would, she weaves these most epic baskets and we were all standing in circle, full moon at, on the beach a ceremony. There was 38 women and we're, and we're all holding hands. And I literally had the image of all our ancestry below us, so the weave. So we were all in circle. So imagine a huge roaring fire, full moon. We have given our offerings to the fire. We have called in sacred space and we, our hands are held together. And I see this visual below us the circle the same circle being reflected but like all our lineages all our all our people all our origins all our karma in the below us almost like persephone's journey down there and then i saw it above us up in the stars too so we were like a circle and then the circle was below us and then the circle was above us and the weave was all there yeah as above so below yeah exactly yeah yeah well i know we're uh, starting to run out of time but and I don't want to put you on the spot for this and you might not have the answer and that's okay. But 
of all of the archetypes you looked at and explored in the book, you know, you gave an example of, you know, Persephone as the maiden and Gaia as the mother. And is it Ocean? Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. As the lover. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, as the lover. But the weaver is the one where you didn't have mm-hmm. an archetype. And mm-hmm. I was wondering why that was. And if you might have if it's appropriate, if you have thought about who might represent the weaver. Mm -hmm. That's an interesting question. So I felt like I didn't give that to the weaver. Also, I didn't follow the same format as I did for the weaver, as I did for the others, as it was the sacred sacred closure, Mm. but the opening to a whole other way of understanding. And so I felt like if I defined it with one particular thing, then folks might again go into that identification. Oh, I'm the weaver. Okay. Yeah. So the weaver holds more, more of this, you know, universal energy and what's coming forward right now is Shakti, Shakti, Mm. Shakti energy. Shakti Mm. is the female embodiment of beauty of all that grows in nature. And Shiva is the masculine, sacred masculine that, you know, holds all of that together. So that the, the, you know, the Maha Shakti, and, you know, of course, I'd probably choose other things too for this weaver. The Maha Shakti is that, that universal pulse of the divine feminine that we can see in the center of the flower, that we can see in the center of the star, that's in the microbes of the earth, that, that allows all of creation to come forward. And I would also explore and do research on perhaps some of the first forms of of shamanic culture Mm. and matriarchal culture within that. Mm. And that almost came through with the queen. Mm. Also, when you asked if I, you know, why I chose Tara, I was researching that some of these really primal, you know, forms of shamanic culture that were the first ones recorded. I really had a great time, you know, doing this kind of research. And so I would, I would probably go into that as well yeah. for the weaver. And I would just also bring forward the cultures. Cause I, I actually wanted to call this book something else. I, I wanted to work with this, like a fine silk weave. That term kept coming through for me, a fine silk weave, a fine silk weave, the whole thing around, you know, how the, the metamorphosis also of, of the silkworm, of the butterfly, of mm. the process of, you know, metamorphosis. And so there's there's something to that in in the weaver that is like, is unspoken and named at the same time. It's, it's neither mm. this nor that. It's it's this pulse. It's like the spider web. It's, it's, this, it's this representation of how we are so connected to everything. And that's a hard journey to live in a modern age in a world of wild distraction and complexity. And so if anything, the weaver can just always live at the center of our bodies and we can go, okay, what's the weave today? Mm. And, and where, and where, what can I let go of that's not serving? And what can I invite in, in terms of a virtue, a virtue, a value and intention, a prayer, a code, a formula that is working. For example, right now, it could be I am letting go of excess tension in my body. I am inviting in the frequency of love. Wonderful. Thank you for all of that very much. So again, I know that we are out of time, but let me ask you, you mentioned that one project that you're working on, but you can't say too much about it. Is there anything that you have coming up that you can tell us about? 
Yes, let's see. I have, well, the book has just come out, which has been an amazing journey and several book launches. Now this episode may already have, may not be aired yet, but I am going to Europe next week. I'm teaching at Findhorn in Scotland. Okay, wonderful. And I'm teaching at Alternatives in London. So it's going to be a a wonderful journey for me where I'm going to go share the books, both books actually, both in the UK and my annual Mexico retreat, which is, it's at an eco resort where there's no, it's off the grid. So it's like jungle and ocean. It is March 2nd to 9th. Okay. 2024. Right. So this coming year. So, you know, and on my, on my site, there's tons of things and programs for people and free gifted practices also. So we can stay in touch that way. Okay. And your site is? marabranscombe.com. Okay. Wonderful. Well, I will include that, the, cool. the, your website and links for your book yeah. in the show notes in the video description. So Mara, thank you again so much for your time. It was uh, absolutely wonderful to reconnect and speak with you again. You as well. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And hopefully we can do this again after your secret project comes out. (laughs) Yes. Okay, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. And that's a wrap on episode 98 of Rebel Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening or watching if you are part of my YouTube audience or view this on Spotify. If you would like to support my work here at Rebel Spirit Radio, and please support my work, you can join my Patreon. You can find the link for the Patreon in the show notes or video description. Some of the perks for patrons include early access to videos, shout outs to members, a members only Facebook page, access to the Rebel Spirit Radio Discourse server, and a monthly book club where we explore books discussed on the podcast, spiritual and philosophical classics, and books related to the cocktail apocalypse. I mean, remember, I am a professor of philosophy and religion, so consider the book club an ongoing classroom where you can go as deep as you want uh, with me and other Rebel Spirits. And of course, if you would prefer to make a one-time donation, you can still do so via PayPal. I still have big plans for the podcast and the YouTube channel. Right now, this is all a labor of love. So your support will not only help me in continuing what I do here, but will also help me grow the channel and the podcast. I will be tremendously grateful for any support that you can provide. Another way that you can help uh, the podcast is to share it with friends, family, coworkers, and on social media. That really is one of the best ways you can help and support the podcast. Help me grow my audience. As I always like to say, I'm out here doing missionary work in regards to religion, spirituality, and ecology, psychedelics, and consciousness, and how all of this can help us heal humanity's relationship with the sacred earth. So if you feel moved by the rebel spirit, and I sure hope that you do, then please, by all means, help share the good news. Also, if you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to give it a positive rating on whatever platform you use to listen to or view podcasts. It only takes a second and your five-star ratings really do help, especially if you listen on Apple. If you have a minute to spare, consider posting a short but positive review and please subscribe. For those viewing on YouTube, please give this video a thumbs up and subscribe to the YouTube channel. Make sure that you hit that notification bell so you will be informed when I upload new content. 
I'm Nick Mather, and you've been listening to or watching Rebel Spirit Radio. Until next time, may you be in peace, may you flourish in all possible ways, and may you continue to nurture your rebel spirit.